Um, we are in part six of our current series, and the series is called The Worst Sermon Ever. The full title is What We Can Learn From the Worst Sermon Ever, A Study of the Book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, what we're doing is we're basically working through Ecclesiastes 1, and we're getting through all the way to the end. And we're just going chapter by chapter, sometimes verse by verse, section by section, and just allowing God to speak through the word. And just whatever God says through that, that's what we're talking about. So we don't really have a, an overarching topic. We don't have an overarching theme. The theme is Ecclesiastes. God, what do you want to say to us through Ecclesiastes? And um, I have to tell you that when we first started this series, it was really hard. It was really hard to write sermons this way um, because typically this is not what I'm used to. Um, and it was tough because there was a lot of like, I had a lot of I don't know if fear is the word or anxiety, but when you have no specific idea and then you go into the Bible just like, what do you want to talk about, God? There's some like, I get a little bit, I was a little bit nervous because like, what if, what if there's nothing? Like, because there are certain parts of the Bible, sometimes you read it and it's like, what do you want me to hear? Like, there's nothing there, God. It's like very dry. It's just like history. It's just numbers or whatever. And you're like, what am I supposed to take away? Like, so I was afraid, a little bit fearful of maybe that would be the experience in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so in the beginning, it was kind of tough. But I'll tell you guys this. Uh, over the last few weeks, so this is my fourth one preaching for this series. Pastor Jonathan did two. It's gotten easier, actually. And, and let me tell you a little bit about why. It's not easier in that, like, oh, I know more about the Bible or studying it is easier or figuring out stuff. It's not about that. It's easier because, I don't know if you guys will understand this, but doing what I do and coming here every week and standing in front of you guys and talking to you guys online and preaching messages, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are times where we feel pressure. I feel pressure. I feel pressure like I, I want to deliver a really powerful sermon, right? And I want people to walk away being like, wow, that was awesome. Like that really hit. That was really relevant. That mattered to me. Like obviously I want to do that. I want you guys to have that kind of experience every time I come up here. And it, it can get kind of difficult. But with this series, what I realize is like there's none of that. I, I don't feel any pressure to make sure the sermon hits for you because it's not about me. Because I don't have an agenda. I don't have like a thought or a direction. It's just the Bible. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, God, whatever you want to do through this book, that's you. I'm just going to entrust it to you. And if it hits, it hits. Praise the Lord. If it doesn't, maybe it's not your time. Right? So like it's been very freeing for me to preach this kind of a sermon series. It's really nice because like the pressure's all off. You know? So if you in this series like hear something from God and God speaks to you, that's him. That's not me. Because I didn't plan it. You know, sometimes, I know some of you guys think that I heard something about you and that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. I don't do that. I don't do that, especially in this series. Like, whoa, if something really in, uh, relates to you and really, like, reaches you, man, that's the Holy Spirit moving right now. And so, like, that's totally not me. And if you come to church and you hear this message and you're like, that's nothing. That's not on me either. That's on God. So, like, dude, I feel so good, like, so relaxed in preaching this series. And especially... If you are uncomfortable with something that you hear in this message, if something upsets you or bothers you or maybe even offends you, that's not me either. Like, it's not, nothing is on me. It's like all on the Lord, and that's fantastic. So, you know, in this series, either on the last ones, if you've listened or, because we've had some harsh ones, right? Like, we had some rough stuff here in the past couple of weeks. I got in your face about a little bit of things. But like, that's, that's God. Talk to him about that. Don't talk to me about that. 
But if you were offended or upset by any kind of message in the series, and, and maybe like, for example, today's sermon that I'm going to preach to you guys, if you are uncomfortable, like, I want you to know that's not me with an agenda. That's God trying to speak something into your life. So I feel good. I hope you feel good. Let's pray and get into Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, once again for just the way you've been directing us and leading us. I'm so grateful, Father, how you've been moving through this series. God, I entrust it all to you. I give it all completely to you. Thank you, Lord. Name me pray. Amen. Last week, I said that the sermon um, was not going to be really in your face, hard hitting. And then I was like, but next week it is. So I want you guys to prepare yourself. God is going to speak about some very, very specific things. And for, it may not be relevant for a lot of you, but for some of you, it's going to be very, very challenging. And I'm excited to hear what God is going to do through that. So let's start with Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is where we left off. 5, starting from verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district... And justice and rights denied, in other words, injustice and oppression, do not be surprised at such things. Don't be surprised if you see oppression and injustice. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the field." His teaching here is when you see oppression and injustice, when you see the weak and the poor stepped on by the rich and powerful, don't be surprised. And remember, he's talking in the context of this idea called under the sun. We've talked about this. Under the sun. So he's saying, under the sun, don't be surprised if you see oppression and injustice. It's under the sun. And just to review, under the sun simply means life separate from God. So in life separate from God, don't be surprised if there is injustice and there is oppression. Don't be surprised because it's going to happen. Under the sun, that is. And in our world today, this is pretty clear. You look around and you see injustice and oppression probably all over the place. Not just in, the, in, in, a, in a global scale, not just in a national scale, but maybe even in your personal life, in your school, you see injustice and oppression. Maybe in your workplace, you see injustice and oppression. Maybe sometimes you feel like you are marginalized and stepped on and, 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 and people are overpowering you. Maybe you see it in the church as well. Don't be surprised, he says, the teacher says, if you see injustice and oppression, which is a strong statement because it's like, what do you mean? That's, it's terrible. It's, it's bad. It's something that we should react against. But he says, don't be surprised by it because we're living under the sun. And, and what I want to highlight here before we move on is if that is true, if we should not be surprised, in fact, if we should expect to see oppression and injustice, the opposite is then true. If under the sun we could expect oppression and injustice, then above the sun there is no injustice and oppression. Meaning in this world, in this life separate from God, full of sin in this world that we are, we should expect oppression and injustice. Then above the sun, in the kingdom of God, we can expect that there will be no injustice and oppression. Let's just remember that on the other side of this very dark teaching is this very beautiful teaching. That in the kingdom of God, people are treated equally and there is, a, 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 there is justice and people are taken care of and there is a, a community of, of, of harmony and peace in the kingdom of God as opposed to in the kingdom of life under the sun versus life above the sun. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy. If you didn't grow up in the church, that probably sounds crazy. Like how could we ever have a world like that? And what's crazier is when God 
talks about heaven and the kingdom of God, when Jesus comes on this earth and talks about the kingdom of God, remember, we've talked about this. He's not just talking about heaven after we die and after he comes back. He's talking about the kingdom of God here on earth. So if we put those teachings together, what he's saying is it is possible for the kingdom of God to be here on earth, this side of the resurrection, and have places where there is no oppression and injustice. And that sounds insane looking at our world today, looking at people today, looking at how we are. It's kind of crazy to imagine, would it even be possible on this earth right now to have places where there is no oppression and there is no injustice, where there is equality and peace and harmony? He's going to talk about later why that's possible. He's going to talk about later why it's possible that the kingdom of God on the earth today can actually be a place like this, very different from life under the sun with all its impression and injustice. So um, what I want to do is I want to take these two verses, and I want to just share with you guys three key points from these verses, from verses 8 and 9. I realize that this, 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 this teaching, even though it was written so many years ago, is extremely relevant for, for today. Because what he says in this, don't be surprised by injustice and impression right now. See, I want you guys to understand our worldview today, the predominant worldview today, is one that we call secularism. Right? It's, it's secular. We're post-Christian. People are over Christianity. They had it. They experienced it when they were kids or grew up in high school. But they're not about that anymore. We live in a secular world now. And what that means is essentially secularism is saying we can build a better world. We can build utopia. We can build a better world. But we don't need God to do it. And we've said this before. Secularism, really what it comes down to is let's build the kingdom without the king. We can build a world like the kingdom of God that is full of love and peace and, and harmony and justice and fairness, all that stuff, but we don't actually need God to do it. We can build the kingdom without the king. And so the writer, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he thinks about that and he laughs at that. He's like, are you kidding me? Don't be surprised if you see injustice and oppression under the sun. It's going to be there. Don't be surprised. This idea of secularism, like people can fix themselves until everything's perfect, I don't buy that. The teacher does not believe in that. He doesn't think that. So here's key point number one. When he says that don't be surprised, it really indicates that the teacher has no faith in people under the sun. He has no faith in people under the sun. He has no faith that people are going to fix things. He doesn't think that you or me and the people back in that time have what it takes to make this world a better place. When I look around at everyone I see and everyone I interact with, I have no hope and I have no, no faith that those people, including myself, will ever make a world where there is no oppression and no injustice. I don't see it happening. Because the teacher knows. He knows people. And he knows what you know, that people are bad, and people are whack, and people are messed up, and people are selfish, and people are broken. He sees that in all the people in his life and in his own life, and he's the king, remember? And he sees that, and he's like, what do you mean? How is this, these broken people going to fix themselves and to create a world that is not broken? That doesn't work. He has no faith in people under the sun, under the sun to change anything. That's key point number one. It's a really sad statement, but I bet at the same time it's one that you can resonate with, right? When you look at people, you're like, 
yeah, things are just going to get worse. I think a lot of you, I don't think any of you actually would be like, yeah, I imagine in 10 years, everything's going to be so much better. I feel like most of us are like, yeah, we're just, it's just going down, down, down. It's just going downhill. Look at people. Look how people are. Look at what social media is doing to us. Look at what all this division, all the fighting. Yeah, people, man. Or for, for the teacher, he says, oppression and injustice exist because people exist. That's his, that's his belief. Oppression and injustice exist because people exist. Why is there oppression and injustice? Because people. Because people are there. And we're always going to have that. So he has no faith in people under the sun. Then he talks about the reality that it's not just about people, but it's actually bigger than that, which makes him even more unconvinced that people are going to change anything. He says this in, in Ecclesiastes 5, 8. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. Which is a very confusing way to say what he said. What he's basically saying here is, I don't trust people, and in our world, what we have here is a system, an organization, and an institution full of those people, right? One official is eyed by a higher one, meaning there's one guy there, and he's doing stuff, and there's someone on top of him watching him, and then above him, there's another person. There's a, there's a manager, and then there's a regional manager, and then there's a district manager, right? Like, we have these hierarchies, we have these systems, we have these institutions. This is how our world works, and those systems and institutions are full of who? All these broken people that I don't believe in. So how can anything ever happen? So it's a sad state, and it's one that probably, if you're a millennial or you're a Gen Zer, you totally get down with this. You're like, yeah, I totally get that. If you sense that you have a distrust of overarching organizations and institutions, you understand what he's thinking about. When you look at, you know, even maybe like the church organization and institution or like education and college or the government and you're like, yeah, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to fix anything. This is how the teacher of Ecclesiastes feel. Because it's systems and institutions full of broken people. So these broken people will make broken systems and they're not going to fix everything. I have no hope under the sun in people and institutions. But that's actually not the key point. The key point is remember who the teacher is, right? We believe this to be Solomon and if you want to take a side, uh, you know, a side perspective, it's, if it's not Solomon, it's still a king. That means, key point number two is, the teacher is the leader of those people in that system. Right? Think about that, right? The teacher is in charge of that system that is broken. He does not believe in his own organization. He does not believe in his own institution. He does not believe in the thing that he is leading to actually do anything. That's really, really sad. I mean, what if I came up here as the leader of our church and be like, guys, I don't know about this church, man. I don't know. Like, I see you, and I see you, and I see what you're doing. We got no future. We got no hope in this church. Or like, how demoralizing would that be? Like, you would never, that's leadership 101. You don't say that kind of stuff. You, you got to believe. You got to buy into your organization. But the king, this teacher, he doesn't believe in it. It's like, no, I'm in charge of this thing. I see everything. I see it all, all how it all works. I see that guy and those leaders and those officials and those government officials. I see, the, I see behind the curtain. I know how it works. I know how the sausage is made. And trust me, it's not going to make anything better. The reason why this is a key point and really important for us is because it validates his opinion. 
He's not just some guy at the bottom of the food chain like, oh, this system is broken. It sucks. It doesn't work. He's not the guy at the bottom who's just like the victim. He's the guy in charge of it. He's the guy who could even make change to it. And he's like, I don't believe in this. Under the sun, this thing that we got going on here, we're not going to fix anything. Oppression and injustice are always going to be around. Even I think that, and I'm in charge of it all. Right? This is like a really, really strong accusation against himself and the kingdom and the government that he is building here. I don't believe in it. And it's sad. But key point number three is, I think, maybe the most important key point. He explains why. Right, right now, maybe he just sounds like a cynical, depressed old man. and Just like, you're just angry and stuff like that. But no, he has a reason. In, in chapter 5, verse uh, 9, he explains, Why do I think that there is no hope under the sun in these people and in these systems and in these institutions? And he says this in verse 9. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself, I myself, profit from the fields. So he's starting to get more specific. The reason why I don't believe in people, the reason why I don't believe in organizations under the sun and institutions under the sun is because this, the increase of the land is taken by all the king himself profits from the fields. Key point number three, the reason I don't trust in any of that and don't put my hope in that is because it's all about money. My kingdom that I'm building, the profit, the system we built, it's all about money. It's all about profit. That's why we're never, ever going to fix anything in my kingdom. Now, I think it's easy in this moment to, like, think about what he's saying about his time and then, like, juxtaposing that and putting it on top of our time. And I don't know, maybe you agree. Maybe you look at our world and you're like, yeah, it's all about money. And you might be right. But I think we have to be a little bit careful. He's saying, in my place, in my kingdom, in my system that I'm in charge of, it's all about money. Even me, I am subject to money. Because the king even takes profit from the fields. If there's no fields, if the workers don't do it, if the work doesn't get done, then I'm in trouble too. We are all mastered by profit and money from bottom to top, from the, the worker in the field, the worker in the farm, to the, to the guy who manages the land, to the guy who owns the land, to the guy who is the government official over that area, and then the official over that all the way, many, many layers, all the way up until me, it's all about money. And that's why, don't be surprised if there's oppression and injustice. Because it's not about making things better. It's about making money. He says, this system that I am a part of and in charge of is not about making the world better. It's about making more money. It's never going to get better. Now, this is so important for us to understand. The reason why he doesn't think it will work is because it's all about money. But at the same time, going back to what we talked about earlier, and this is a bonus point for you. This is the reason why. This is why the kingdom of God is possible. The reason why the kingdom of earth under the sun is not going to work is because it's all about money. This is the reason why the kingdom of God is possible. Because the kingdom of God is not supposed to be about money. It's not about money. It's not about advancement. It's not about lining your pockets. It's not about what I can get for me. When we talk about the kingdom of God, when we think about what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, it is the exact 
opposite of that. So he's saying, if we can do the exact opposite of that, if the focus of our institution and our organization can be not about money and the exact opposite of that, meaning it's about love and service and generosity and self-sacrifice, then actually in the kingdom of God, here on earth, before heaven, we can have areas of this world where there is no oppression and there is no injustice. Because in here, it's not about money. And it's not about self. And it's not about what I can get. And it's not about how I can advance. It's about you and the other person, how I can serve them. It's not about how I can be great. It's about how I can be less. That's like the, that's the ethos and the perspective and the philosophy of the kingdom of God. It's like if, if we can just change that, it is possible. That is why the kingdom of God is possible here on earth. If we can have a focus other than advancement and money and profit, we can rid our communities of oppression and injustice. It is a real possibility. And that's why it's so important that we understand that oppression and injustice and inequality have no place in the church. You see, the church is meant to be pockets of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of the, of the earth. Every local church, every local community is supposed to be an area where people can get a break from the kingdom of earth, where there's oppression and injustice, and it's all about money, and it's all about events. They can come to the church and be in a community, in a place where it's not about that at all. And that's why it's so important that the church cannot have even a hint in my mind of oppression or injustice or abuse. And we must expel that and we have to get rid of that. It cannot have any of that in the church. And if there is, we have to deal with it. That's why the church needs to stand for justice and equality. That's why the church has to stand against injustice and oppression. Because the kingdom of God is supposed to be a place, a place like that. The kingdom of God, this side of the resurrection, is possible. But it can't be if it's all about money. Which there are a lot of people who, when they look at the church, they're like, that's exactly what it is. And maybe you've thought that. You've looked at these big mega churches all across the country, across the world, and be like, wow, that's all about money. That pastor who wears those shoes and has those clothes and drives those cars, who gets a private jet, is all about money. And you're probably right. You know, there's a big movement of people questioning the institution of church because of the moral failings of pastors and leaders. And rightfully so. And we understand that there's something wrong with that picture when the church is, 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 is all about that. The kingdom of God is not to be about money. It's, about to be, it's supposed to be about people and love and service and caring and kindness and taking care of the marginalized and the weak. You see, he's saying we should not be surprised when we see oppression and injustice under the sun. But, let me, but hear this. But we should be shocked and angry and appalled when we see it in the church. And so here's my real quick random ask for you. If you see it in the church, will you please tell me? If you see oppression and injustice in the church, if you see oppression and injustice perpetrated by the church, can you please tell me that? Because it does not belong here. It does not belong in this community. It does not belong in Christian families. 
There should be no oppression and injustice or abuse in Christian families either. Maybe under the sun, don't be surprised, but in a Christian family where God is supposed to be the center, there is no place for oppression, injustice, or abuse. So if you see it, you see something, say something. What's interesting, though, is I've said a lot about this whole like, idea of oppression and justice. Da, 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 da. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, this is not even the point. This is actually all an introduction to his main point. We haven't even gotten to his main point. He's getting to his main point starting from verse 10. And so 8 and 9, all this stuff that we've been talking about is just an introduction to bring up the idea of money and profit and why we have to be very, very careful. So actually this sermon on Ecclesiastes chapter 5, this part 6, it's really about money. It's really about money. And I always get very uncomfortable when I talk about money. I don't like to talk about money. I'm not a money person. Clearly, I'm not a money person, right? But I don't like to talk about money. It's very personal. And like, you know, I don't know what you guys do. And it's like, I don't want to tell you what to do with your hard-earned money, that kind of stuff. But this is where the Bible's going. This is where the teacher of Ecclesiastes goes. That's where we're going to. So this is all an introduction to tell us, hey, look what money does. When the system and the people are all about money, you will have oppression and injustice. And then he gets to his main point. And this is a section of the Bible that, I really feel like doesn't need much explanation from me. Like, it's so strong and so clear that I don't feel like I need to explain it to you. Because I'm going to read these verses and you're going to hear stuff. So what I want to do for this kind of like second part and, uh, of this sermon is I'm just going to read the next section, the next seven verses to you. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to listen. We talked about this last week. Remember? The proper approach to worship is being quick to listen and slow to speak. So when you come to God and engage in spiritual things, let's listen. So I'm going to read 10 to 17 slowly, very deliberately, and I want you just to listen to what God says. And there are going to be parts of it that God brings to the, brings to the, the forefront and the surface of your life. And what I want you to do especially is pay attention to where you feel uncomfortable. Pay attention when something is like, ugh. Uh, I don't like that. I wish I didn't hear that today. I wish I didn't come to church today because I didn't want to hear that. I don't need that today. Pay attention to what, what uncomfortable feelings come up and where they come up. Pay attention to which toes hurt in your life when they get stepped on in the next seven verses. And just listen to what God is saying. And then I just have two questions for you in response to that, and then we're going to wrap up. All right? So here's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. The main point of this, chapter, of this section in chapter 5. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> Amen. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Real quick, this version that's translated serious problem in the original is more like a grievous evil. That's actually the, the actual writing. There is another grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches 
harms the Savior. Money is put into risky investments, uh, cryptocurrency maybe, I don't know. Uh, Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious or grievous evil, serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Dang. That's some rough stuff, man. That's real. Now, I don't want to tell you what to think about or focus on, but where did you feel something? Where did you feel some discomfort? Was it part when he was like, the wealth, the people who have money will never have enough? Was it that part? Was it the part that says, the, the hoarder harms himself or herself? Maybe it was the part that says, what good is money? Or maybe it was the part where he said, it's all the hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Or maybe that part where it says, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Just pay attention. Where's the tension in my life when I hear those words? What part made me uncomfortable? What part made me the most upset? What made me feel sheepish and maybe guilty? What made you like have that face where you're like, ugh? Wherever that is, God is speaking to you into your life about that thing. I don't know what that is. And you don't even have to tell me, but I want you to pay attention to the challenge that God has issued in those statements. But as we close, I do want to share with you two questions to think about based on verses 10 through 17. Two questions. And the first one is this. It's when he asks, what good is wealth? And I don't mean that rhetorically. I want you to answer that question. Not like, what good is wealth? Oh, no good. That's not actually the point. Because later on, which we'll get to next week, he actually talks about that there is good in it. He says this in verse 19. He says, it is a good thing to receive wealth. What? That's confusing. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. So the question is, there is some good in wealth. So I want you to ask this question about you and your money, about you and your bank account, about you and your portfolio. What good is wealth? What purpose does wealth serve for you? You have to answer this question honestly. That's the key point. Honestly. Honestly. Deep, dig deep. Think about who you are. Think about what you think about. What good is wealth to you? Think about it honestly. The way you answer this question will determine your relationship to your money. So you have to be able to answer this question. When I look at my money, when I think about my money, what good is it? What is it for? Why do I have it? Why am I working so hard to build it? What good is wealth? Answer this question and I think this is a question that you got to bring back every now and again when you start getting lost and you start getting caught up in the, in the rat race and the hamster wheel. You're like, wait, 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 hold on. Wait, what good is wealth again? Let me remember what the purpose of wealth in my life is for. What part, what role does it play? What good is wealth? Ask that question for yourself. 
to determine your relationship with money. And then here's the next question. We're going to close with this question. Where's my money? Where's my money? What I mean by that is, is your money under the sun or is it placed above the sun? Everything he's talking about in verses 10 through 17 is money management under the sun. Remember that. This is all in the context of under the sun. So he's saying money under the sun dealt with in an under the sun kind of way looks like this. The saver will harm himself. Under the sun, the person who is trying to get more money, they'll never have enough. So where is your money? And I don't mean like what bank, what investments, where are you putting it? No, no, where is your money? Is it under the sun? Do you manage and handle your finances in a earthly under the sun kind of way? Or, I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a spiritual, God-centered, Christ-centered, God-honoring way to manage your money. It is a gift from God, he said. But where is it? How do you treat it? How do you feel about it? How do you respond? How do you use it? And I'm not telling you, oh, give all your money to the church. I'm not telling you that. It's not about that. But you have to ask the question, where is my money? Is my money under the sun? Or have I placed my money over the sun? Is it in the kingdom of the earth? Or have I placed my money, my riches, or in Jesus' words, my treasure in the kingdom of God? So two questions for you to ask. What good is wealth? And where's my money? And next week, in part seven of this series, we're going to talk about the teacher's answer to those two questions, which he deals with in the next few verses, in verses 18, 19, and 20. So if you want to get ahead, read those verses and think about it. That might be really helpful. And we're going to deal with that next week. How do we answer these questions? What good is wealth? And where is my money? Where have I placed my money? How do I manage something as important but something as dangerous as wealth and money? How do I respond to it and manage it in a Christ-centered, God-honoring spiritual way? We're going to answer those questions next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your word today. Lord, uh, you know that I don't really like to talk about this kind of stuff. But Father, I thank you that you've brought it to our attention. Because we can't just talk about what we want to talk about, Lord. We've got to talk about what you want us to talk about. We've got to talk about what we need to hear. And so, Father God, I pray that someone would be challenged. Someone would be maybe upset. Someone would feel a little regret about some stuff and some decisions they've made. Not because I want people to feel that way, but because that's oftentimes where change happens in those places, in those points of tension. So, God, give us clarity this week. As we think about those two questions, what good is wealth? When I look at my life, what role does wealth play? And where is the good role that it should play in my life? What good is wealth? And help us to look at the way we've been handling the blessings of resources and money that you've given us. And help us to honestly look at ourselves and know, yeah, I haven't handled my money in a spiritual way. It's been in a very earthly way. And I pray, God, that from there we begin to make shifts and changes. Because I believe that if we can make changes here, oh man, imagine what change will happen in our heart if we change the way we viewed and managed our finances. Lord, thank you so much for talking to us today. Be with us and be with everyone. Here, your name we pray. Amen.